So the first of our readings is from 2 Samuel, chapter 7, which can be found on page 310. About 1,000 years before Jesus was born, God appears to the prophet Nathan to give a promise of God for David and God's people. So we read from chapter 7, beginning at verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Our second reading from Luke's Gospel, taking place almost 1,000 years later, can be found on page 1025, Luke chapter 1. It's page 1025. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled to me. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, and thank you very much to those who've done the decorating. It was very exciting to come into Christmas decorations this morning. And those who tidied up last night after the excellent wreath making. That is brilliant. Uh, shall we pray before we start? And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Lord, we praise you and we glorify you, Lord, because you are our Saviour. And Lord, you are, though omnipotent and everywhere and running everything, Lord, you have been mindful of us in our humble state, whether it's that we're not that important or whether that we are actually uh, depressed spiritually or actually, Lord, whether we are experiencing hard times or whether we're experiencing good times. Lord, you are mindful of us and we praise you for that. And pray, Lord, that what we do now would help us to glorify you more and help our spirits rejoice in you more. Amen. So Christmas is definitely here, isn't it? With the Christmas tree is in. I've got the Christmas haircut. There's lots of great things about Christmas, aren't there? Uh, but you can feel like it's just another to-do list, can't you? Uh, that swamps you if you're already in difficulties. I don't know what it is for you, whether it's broken relationships or frustrated work, um, worry about money, or something to do with your personal character that you just can't shift, some kind of dispute. I don't know what it is. But I personally can't help as I look at the stuff that we've got at, we're, we're going to do here at church over the next few weeks and think, oh... <clears throat> yeah, is it, it's, it feels slightly like uh, maybe a Christmas that is filled with rest, a Christmas that is filled with fairness around the board game, uh, a time where we actually get to sort of relax and not worry, just kind of feels a bit far off, doesn't it? Uh, it's interesting hearing the radio programmes talking about uh, what, what do you like about Christmas? And it's actually stuffing ourselves with food and being on the television. I think that's the kind of escapism, isn't it? It's like I just got to run away from the stuff, maybe for a little bit over Christmas. Or for others of us, I think mainly mums, apparently the reason why supermarkets advertise uh, Christmas immediately after Halloween is because most mums do Halloween, they get in, they shut the door, they sit down, they go, right, Christmas. And they get, and it's basically that's the kind of thing we're trying to fix everything, aren't we? And so whatever's going in your life, you know, we kind of feel like we're either trying to run away from it and we're using Christmas for that, or we're trying to fix it by making the perfect Christmas and the perfect roast potato, which is very important in our household. And we can't really seem to access that kind of rest and that freedom from worry in the future, can we? It's a bit beyond us. And moreover, it's patently beyond our current leaders, isn't it? As we watch them doing 
Um, I'm a celebrity. I haven't actually watched that. I'm just... I, yeah. Or as we watch The Managing Wars, you kind of think, well, look, you guys, how good are you at doing this? I can't even run my own life in Christmas. No wonder you guys can't run all that stuff out there and make it go well. Uh, and even our footballers just can't seem to get at the back of the net, can they? You know, we, we, we're, we're not great at running stuff. And it doesn't matter how much money you've got. You can be like Ronaldo, who's just lost his job. Although he did score the other day, I think. But, you know, he's got family troubles. He's lost his job. You know, what kind of Christmas will he have with all his money and fame? Celebrating Christmas either be a distraction as we stuff ourselves and as we just veg on telly, or it can be us trying to fix everything that's broken but just being deeply aware that stuff is broken, like we've got a budget for the fact that we've got to heat the house in the next two months. What's God got to say about that all? What's Christmas got to say about that? This passage gives us certainty that Jesus is the Messiah, and so we should serve him. It gives us confidence. This is what the payoff is. It gives us confidence that we have rest a home that is safe, a relationship that is perfect, that we're longing for, that we might be worried about if we're on our own this Christmas. We've got a perfect relationship and that you don't need to fix it all and you don't need to run away from it all either. You just need to serve this Messiah. Now, the only reason why that's going to make any sense is if you know what a Messiah is, first of all. So we're going to look at that first what is a Messiah? Well, a Messiah is literally someone that's had oil poured on them. They've been anointed. And that's something that you did in the old days if you thought that person was going to be God's king. And the thing is, is God's king in the old days, or King David, he was anointed. But God came to a prophet of his to give him a message. And that's what we read First of all, thank you, Margaret, in 2 Samuel 7. So have that open on page 310, and let's have a quick look at that. Because in this, God makes one of the biggest promises in the Bible. He sort of elucidates his promise. And it's really exciting. He says, tell my servant David, my anointed king, tell him this. This is from me, the Lord Almighty, creator of all people everywhere and everything. Verse 9, I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And now, here come the promises. Can you see the will? I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. I will provide a place for my people, Israel. God is going to provide a place, a home for his people. That's you and I if we're in Jesus Christ. And what's that place going to be like? I will plant them so they can have a home of their own. I don't know if you rent here or you're at the, at the behest of your landlord or, or whether you're worried about the fact that you're just going to die. And You one day will have a home that is your own. And what's that home like? You will no longer be disturbed. A home with peace and rest. And as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, at the wicked people shall not oppress them anymore. 
Sorry, I should have read that first. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore. Those of you who've got injustices going on in your life, you've got court cases, you've got people at school who have got you in trouble, I don't know what it is. One day, that is gone. That's the promise. There won't be any more Lord Justices and there won't be any more courts, there won't be any more policemen. That's what God's promising here. A home like that. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. Isn't that wonderful? And that's all with God being with you. So a thousand years before Jesus, God is promising to his King David that I will do these things for my people. And the question is, is how are you going to do that? And he answers that in verse as we continue from verse sort of 11 and 12 onwards, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you, David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, so when, David, you die, this is what I will do. Do you see what it says? I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. So someone who's related to you is going to come, and I'm going to raise him up, says God. Now, when God raises you up, that's a big deal. When my kids try and lift me up, that's not a big deal. But when God raises you up, that is a big deal, isn't it? And look at the nature of the big deal. It continues, I will establish his kingdom. This guy's going to be a king, like David, related to David. And he is the one who will build a house for my name, somewhere where I will come and live with you in that kingdom. And what else will God do? I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And then verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Can you hear what he's promising? He's promising that he will bring all that blessing of home and rest and peace and God being with you. That's all going to come through a king. God's chosen king that he promises will come from David's line. Have you got that? That's the Messiah. That's what the Israelites were waiting for, waiting for and waiting for. We've got to understand that when we come to Luke, because when we come to Luke, we see that Jesus is in fact the fulfillment of all of that promise. He is the Messiah. And Luke starts his gospel with, I've written all these things down. Why verse 4? so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. He wants you and I to be certain, as he tells us about how Jesus is born, that Jesus is that Messiah, that King, who will bring all of that kingdom, promise of God, for God's people. Let's have a look at that together. From verse 26 onwards, Jesus is the fulfilment of all that Messiah promise, and we can be certain of those things that are taught to us, First of all, who is doing the action here? 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent. Excellent. And he sent an angel Gabriel. That is God all over it, isn't it? God is doing it. Interesting, if you look back at, at Zechariah, it doesn't say that God was doing it. It sort of happens. The angel appears to him. But here it's emphasized God is doing the sending. Turn over to verse 20, oh no, look down to verse 28, or wherever it is on your page. Um, who is it that is with Mary? The Lord is with you. It's God, isn't it? 
And then on to verse 30. 30, he says, you have found favor with God. God is here doing stuff. Verse 32, uh, what does it say there? The Lord God will give him the throne of his father. Who's doing the work here? It is God. And it's emphasized again in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Who's doing the work here? God. Can you see who's doing the raising up? It's God, isn't it? God is raising up this individual that is coming through Mary. But did you see also what he's, where he comes from? So if you look back at verse 27, what's the first thing we find out, even before Mary's name? We get to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Is this just sexist? No, it's not, because of the next clause, a descendant of David. That, if you're a Jew and you're reading that, an Israelite and you're reading that at the time, is alarm bells ringing. Wait, a descendant of David? I remember that. 2 Samuel 7. There's going to be a king who's going to be born of David. Here it is. And so you're reading on voraciously. And what do you find out? Uh, he's going to give him David's throne. That's what we get in verse 32. He will be great. This child will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. <gasps> my goodness more bells ringing and how long will it last is it just going to be the next 20 years or is it going to be one of those kings that lasts about two minutes back in judges what does it say it says he will give his throne uh, the throne of his father david and he will reign over jacob's descendants that's god's people for how long forever how long will his kingdom go on for? His kingdom will never end. It's forever. This king that is coming will be untouched by death. His kingdom will not be stopped like David's reign was by death. That's exactly what we were promised in 2 Samuel 7, wasn't it? And then most of all, what was the other thing? Is that God will be his father. Really? Can we do that much? Yes, we can. Verse 27. He comes to a virgin. That is someone who has just not had sex. That is what her concern is in verse 34, isn't it? How am I going to have a child, she says, since I am a virgin? She knows how science works. She's done the sex ed. She knows that you've got to be married in order to have children. No, you don't. That's what we try and tell the children when you're trying to brush over it, isn't it? That you've got to have sex in order to have a child. But she hasn't. But we read in verse 31, you will conceive nevertheless and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus, which means God saves, interestingly, doesn't it? This is a totally unique birth for a unique leader, a unique king. And can I say, if, this is, if the virgin birth is something that you struggle to believe in, can I challenge you on that? Because if you struggle to believe in that, you will definitely struggle to believe in Jesus rising from the dead. And if you struggle with that, then you will definitely struggle with God's ability to create all of the universe. It's totally fitting and right that the God who has life in him, in such force and strength, that he can just speak and all of creation comes into existence. 
It is totally fitting that on his word, life can spring up out of nothing, isn't it? It's totally consonant with who he is and his character. But what does it mean that this person is born in this way? Well, verse 32 unpacks it for us, doesn't it? He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That's a very particular title, isn't it? That means the Son of God the Creator, infinite, without beginning and without end, who made all things and knows all things, who governs all people for all time. He's going to be that Son. He's going to be the Son of God. And it's rubbed in for us several times, isn't it? Look down at 35. The Holy Spirit will come to you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, he's going to be holy, set apart for God, to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you see what's being rubbed in here? Do you remember that promise in 2 Samuel 7 a thousand years ago? It happened. That person came. And that person is Jesus. He's not a prophet. He's not a herald like John the Baptist. He's not a moral teacher. He's not a life coach. He's not even a great leader. He's the leader. The Son of God, whose reign never ends, unstoppable by death, who will rule over God's people forever and will bring all those promises of 1 Samuel Uh, 2 Samuel 7, to life, that home, that rest, that peace, that place, forever. Do you notice how in here, it's always will, isn't it? Do you see that? He will be, uh, how will this be? Uh, The Holy Spirit will come on you, will overshadow you. Um, It's all a future promise, isn't it? Luke knows that, and it's still a future promise for us now. And that's why verse 37 is so vital. It says, doesn't it, verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. You might think, well, maybe this has failed. Maybe this hasn't happened because life's still a struggle. Maybe this is so unbelievable. How on earth could this happen? The key thing is, is there's a future promise here that actually it depends entirely upon God's word. And that's why we're looking at God's word on Tuesday night. I encourage you to do that. Come along and hear about that. But it all hangs, doesn't it, on is this word trustworthy? And this is so brilliant because it tells us it is utterly trustworthy. Can you see how the word of God from 2 Samuel 7 has lasted a thousand years but then come true in Jesus? at his birth. Can you see how 2 Samuel 7 promised that Jesus, this Messiah, would never be touched by death? And we now know, as we read the rest of Luke's Gospel, that Jesus is alive and risen and rules in heaven forever. That came true. Can you see how 2 2 Samuel 7, that promise that God would make a people and that he would look after them and he would start to bless them and take them to that land has already started happening. See, the church growing all over the world, it started now, the kingdom has come, it's not yet fully finished, but that has already happened. The word of the Lord does not fail and it has not failed. 
And so now for you and I, as we wrestle with whatever it is we're wrestling with, we look at that 2 Samuel 7 promise and we see how it's been fulfilled and we know that that is true. No word from God will ever fail. And this word, that this Messiah will come and deliver on those promises, will not fail. We know that because we've seen what's happened with Jesus, don't we? That Jesus is the leader, that he is the captain, that he is the Messiah. It's, life is like, the whole world's like a giant cruise ship, isn't it? Often you get that on sort of series. They, they introduce a cruise ship with a captain and he's sort of benevolent but slightly hopeless. And it's supposed to be a kind of picture for what the world is. But that's utterly true, isn't it? The whole world's a, cru- a cruise ship, and it doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor. It doesn't matter whether you're at the front end or the back end. It doesn't matter whether you're suffering or whether you're having a great holiday or whether you're in dispute with the people in the cabin next door to you. The whole ship is heading somewhere. And the question is, who is running this show? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus is running this show. And what he says is, is actually this whole ship is not the end goal. It is leaky and it's packing up. And you need to follow me into the lifeboats to reach safety and peace, which is coming. And I will take you there. And we have to decide, are we going to be the captain of our own ship? I can't even get the right roast potatoes to come out of the oven. Are we going to get someone else to be the captain of our ship? Or will that person just end up doing reality TV? Are we going to get some other religion, that, some other way of life to be the captain of our ship that promises everything? If you just have enough money, if you just have enough respect from people. Or are we going to trust the Messiah, the leader sent by God, promised that shows his word never fails who is taking us to that place that God has promised where there will be a home and rest and peace and no more fear or worry that's the question will we serve that Messiah with confidence in his promise of new life that's the challenge of this passage to us and it's an opportunity to be like Mary have a look with me what Mary does Mary is, are, is held up to here as the example. What does she do at the end of this extraordinary encounter? What are her words in verse 38? I am the Lord's servant. Literally slave. May an, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Trusting in the word of God. Do you see that? And then the angel left her. She is a servant. And that servanthood is based on her trust in the word of God. And it's radical, isn't it? She's not rationalizing this at all. She just says, I totally trust you with my marriage, my relationship, with my reputation in the community. What are they going to think of her when she turns up pregnant? I trust you with my future, all the dreams that I had about we're going to go this way. No, we're not. We're over here. She trusts God with everything right down to her body, doesn't she? I understand when you're pregnant, you are not in control of your body. Nothing about that is you in control, is it? Here is Mary, totally out of control, and she serves the Messiah, confident in his promise that God's word will not fail, that this is the Messiah who will take us home. 
So if you're here today and you're not really sure whether actually you want to follow Jesus, can I encourage you? Or you're a sinner and you're feeling trapped in your sin today, can I encourage you? Look here. Can you tell what time it is? It's not Christmas. It's the time of this king. He is here now. And he says, serve me and let me take you. Let me take your sin and judgment that you deserve. Let me take you and lead you to those promised places of rest and peace. Here's some promises that, are, are, that might prompt you to do that. Promises of Jesus that he makes later on as king. Rather punctually in chapter 13, unless you repent, you too will all perish. He says that twice in the next verse. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. That is the captain of the ship sounding the alarm. That you need to stop what you're doing and get in his lifeboat. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to do that, to turn to Jesus. He said, here's another promise of his. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Don't try and rationalise your sin or earn forgiveness for it, but come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. I've got nothing to offer. Take my sin and take me, that I might be in your kingdom and you might take me as my leader to this place. If that's something you want to think about, then you can take, that, you can take one of these away with you today, which is a little booklet that talks through exactly why Jesus has come and lets you think that through a bit more carefully. So I encourage you to take one of those. If you're a Christian here today, if you're someone who knows the Lord already as Messiah, you're someone who's suffering, you're someone who's in joy, whatever it is, I want you to encourage you to serve Jesus and be confident in his word and the promise of life that it contains. Whatever the burden of life is, whatever Christmas holds for you, there is rest and peace uh, for you and the world that is coming there is a secure future and it started now here's luke uh, luke chapter 12 here's a promise of jesus for you but seek his kingdom that's jesus kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom so if you're a christian here today don't run after the comfort don't run after the distraction at Christmas. Don't try and fix things in your own power, but seek the kingdom first. Serve Jesus with your character, with your family time, with your time with your church, with your time with your name. Serve Jesus there, and that is where all these things will come. All the peace and the reassurance that we want, because we know our captain is running the ship. I constantly struggle with this personally, with my own children. You know, do I want them to pass the 11 plus? Or do I want them to know this king who is going to take them and who's going to embrace them into his kingdom now and forever? And that crunch point is in the morning when we're trying to do our Bible time or in the evening time when we're trying to pray. I want to seek first the kingdom because this is the Messiah that's going to lead them to that amazing place. And it's so great that our youth are away at Ignite doing that right now. Isn't that wonderful? That is terrific. Or whether it's trusting God with our bodies or helping our kids trust God with their bodies 
whether it's their sexuality or their gender, whether it's their beauty or their muscles, whether it's our old age or our chronic pain, whatever it is, can we trust God with that like Mary does and say, actually, I want to serve you in this. Help me see how this serves your kingdom. And it's a joy, isn't it, that as we do that, we've got total certainty and total comfort that we already have God's kingdom because we've already got his king, the Messiah. We can be certain of that as we read this because no other person would be born in this way. No other person has ever been called the son of God in this way. It's already ours. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. We've got certainty that Jesus is the Messiah. Wouldn't it be great if the world out there had that certainty as well? If they knew that this Christmas, and they knew that through us. When we speak of God's stuff, that we wouldn't just speak of God in general terms. Maybe we might speak of Jesus. Or maybe even more, we might find ourselves just saying, the Lord Jesus. It's quite a difference, isn't there? I'm okay with God. I'm sort of okay with Jesus occasionally. But actually saying, the Lord Jesus, is very different, isn't it? But that's who he is. He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah whose promises of new life will never fail. That's terrific, isn't it? Let's pray and ask him to help us serve him. Lord God, we praise you and glorify you because you are the Messiah. You are the leader. Lord, there is none before you or after you. There have been many leaders in the history of the world, Lord, whose kingdoms have come and gone, but yours remains and your church grows. Lord, give us confidence that you are the Messiah that's been promised to take us home. And Lord, you've got us there already. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember that, that we might serve you with confidence like Mary did, to be your servant, no matter where we are or what we're doing or what we've been equipped with. And Lord, may we say with her, may your word to me be fulfilled. Amen.